When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome, everyone, back to the broadcast. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network, and I am joined on this fine and frisky Friday by Tracy Pearson. Tracy, how are you? I'm good, Dave. I'm, I'm pretty good and grateful and feeling fortunate. I may just want to mention up top what's happening in Maui is yeah. just breaking my heart right yep. now. I, I can't... It, it just is, I don't know, it just is breaking my heart watching that. So I just wanted to encourage people. There's plenty of places to donate for that right now. I've donated. It'd be great if you did too. That's heartbreaking. Yeah, and, it's yeah. awful. It's awful. Yes. My my whole, uh, all my siblings were just there about a month ago. Uh, yeah. Like, and they're like, we were walking down that street. Like, we were, that's crazy. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, didn't mean to start on, but you know. There's yeah, some, but if you if you've yeah. got uh if you've got the funds, uh donate to uh local uh Hawaiian organizations to help out. Yes. So, uh how many practices are we at? 8 yes, football practices. So, we are through 8. All right, so we've got a lot to cover today. So, let me just give everyone the the lead up top. So, we've got 8 football practices under our belts to uh discuss um we we recorded, if everyone remembered, before the Pac-12 uh, said sayonara to life uh, on Friday of last week. Uh, also, sayonara to life. Sayonara to life. Uh, and then uh, Burke, uh, Big Tunsil, uh, he committed uh, publicly finally over the weekend. So we got to talk about that. So there's a lot. There's a lot to cover. There's a lot to cover. And there's that little thing, like I said, there's that practice thing going on. Yeah, yeah, and there's the practice thing going on. Why don't we just start with that? You want to do that? Okay. Let's yeah, start, yeah, 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 yeah. Let's so, start with football practice. I, I mean, I don't want to keep harping on it. We don't have a lot of time to watch in the media observation. It's period. making me a more efficient machine, though. I will say that. They're training I, to be more efficient. Wow. I, I, I think I like that idea that we're breaking down. We're trying to concentrate on a position. Yeah. Or a unit. So that, that, that's been working. Uh, you watch the running backs. Yep. Closely. Not really much is it's it's really funny because uh, coming out of spring we thought T.J. Harden had the edge, you just hard to judge, but it looks like he's still first string or getting number one reps, and then the media <laughs> is anointing Carson Steele, who we think is also a great player. But that I I I love that. There's it's, two there's yeah. two weird things going on in the general media. That don't cohere with what we saw in spring. and Isn't that been our lifetime? That's our lives. Here. Well, and it's both yeah. related to transfers that 247 had highly rated. Uh, it's Carson Steele and Colin Schley, where neither, nobody who's writing about either of them who hasn't seen a practice, it, 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 it doesn't fit anything that we saw. Like Carson Steele looks pretty good. I think he's going to be the very strong number two, but TJ Harden looked superior. Um, and it wasn't yeah. just that he was getting the first string reps. It was that he was justifiably getting the first string reps. He looked more explosive. Uh, he just looked, he he looked more like what you expect to see from a top shelf power five running back. And that's not to denigrate Carson Steele. I think he's going to be quite good. Um, but Harden looks explosive. Like he looks like a guy who, if you squint a little bit, you can see him turning into an NFL running back. Um, and then with the Colin Schley thing, uh, which is, you know, a little bit further afield, but everyone's talking about him as being in the thick of the main competition with Ethan Garbers and uh, Dante Moore. And coming out of spring, I would have said Schley was probably fourth in the group. When you said further afield, did you literally mean further Small a field and Spalding a, f- a few different things further afield. That was great. Yeah, 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 you know, <laughs> wow, you man! Know, you know, pulling those out of your beard. Yeah, man, what are you gonna do? But yeah. yeah, those are the two ones you keep seeing them like in the two four seven articles we post. Which I, I think the two four seven writers, considering 
many of them are not seeing any practices. They're doing a good job of aggregating info and that whole thing, which is why we keep posting them. But They do a good job. We wouldn't post it unless they were a good story. But um, the one miss is the Carson Steele stuff and the uh, and the Carson Steele stuff, it's at least justifiable. They're in a they're still in a competition. It's a one and a two, so fine. But the Colin Schley stuff is where it kind of misses. Yeah. Uh, there was also a season ticket holder event day. Yeah, congratulations to the uh, 25 to 30 season ticket holders who have seen more of uh, UCLA fall camp than we have. 25. Brutal, man. Wow. Um, a few little reports that I've got personally. I think there's something on the forum, too. Uh, pretty much like what we always would expect. The defense is ahead of the offense. Always. I mean, that's if it just isn't, that's it is. a problem. That's, that's a real worry. And then you know you have you can you can expect a pretty porous defense. Um, uh, quarterbacks struggling a little, and that's along the same lines that the defense knows the plays. So kind of cheating right there. Um, my observation from this week, probably one of the big things, and and I'm hoping you looked at him too in your fleeting glimpse of practice. Devin Kirkwood almost looks like another a different person. Mm-hmm. He's now not, considerably bigger than John Humphrey. And that yeah, was not the case. Not last just year. his arms, but his lower half yep. too. Yeah, that that is significant. He looks and it, like he in that interview uh that was on the UCLA football Twitter page. Um if he can retain his, the quickness that he had, that he didn't get slower, he's now at two hundred five, and he came in at one eighty something. That will be that will be significant because one of the keys here, for, uh, the key is UCLA's defense this season, and one of those sub keys is whether they can get better play out of the cornerbacks. So if he could be a future, look like a future NFL quarter, cornerback this year, that would be a big factor. Yeah, absolutely. And he's he has that athletic ability um, for him. I mean, a lot of it's reps, but if he can maintain that weight, um, it's going to do wonders for him when beating receivers for jump balls, um, you know, staying on his line, not getting pushed off. Like there's going to be so many factors that come into it when he's just because he's probably carrying. I mean, he said he came in as a freshman at like 178. He probably was, I don't know, 8 to 10 heavier than that last year, and now he's another 10-ish, I would say. Um, if he can truly maintain that weight, it'll be – I think it's going to work wonders for him, along with all the reps he's now had through a season and a half of you know basically being a starter. The other personnel development probably was the appearance of Ali Kaho. Oh, yeah. Uh, Ale Kaho. Um, looking, looking studly. Looking – you know what's interesting, too? He looks great. But UCLA's inside linebackers, there are some big boys in there, and he doesn't look big comparatively. No, he's not big. He just looks like a he looks like a lean, mean fighting machine. Yeah. Right now, at this point, given the amount of bodies and the level of talent of those bodies, if I'm going to say something, if the linebackers aren't good this year, then. Uh, there's no excuse I'm, for them. I, for I them will, not to. if the linebackers are not good this year, I will diminish into the West and remain Galadriel. Um, there's just, uh, even if you are questioning the talent from what we've seen, what we've seen before, I get that. That's that's valid. But some of these guys have been in the program. Take like uh, Kane Madrano. He's been in the in the program. <laughs> Uh, he's in. He's his red redshirt senior year, so fifth year. He actually has another year because of COVID too. Um, he looks great. Physically, looks great. He's been at linebacker now for at least two years, at least. Um, I think it's been three. I think it's been damn near yeah, his whole so career now. I, I, I think <laughs> that's what I thought, but then when he said it, he's oh, I've been here for a couple of years. When he interviewed him, um, he he's shown flashes of of playing well and then other times when he hasn't he just just from like someone like him just to play well solidly would be and you get some solid play from him and Shea Brian Strother right Darius Muasau who had an up and down season last year they'd have some good games and then there'd be some times moments when he didn't play well he's looked really good from what I see in, in practice of him 
just those guys go from less consistency to consistently solid. What and then you throw in Ali Caho, John John Vaughn's probably by the end of the year was the best linebacker they had, and then he got kind of nicked up. Uh, there are so many guys, you know that, and, and we're not even talking about your guy, <laughs> yeah, uh, Aladejo. So uh, uh, who looks like a, a freak? Yeah, he, I mean he looks like an Adonis. Um, but like this whole group, I mean one of the biggest indicators for whether or not your uh, whatever it is, unit or whatever, will improve is returning production. And the linebacker group returns so many snaps. So many. And th that even counts Oladejo, who played a bunch of snaps up at Cal. But Muisau, Oladejo, uh, John John Vons, even Shea Bryant Strother played quite a bit last year. End of the day, even though he wasn't really that good, those snaps matter, and they will impact. And then Kane Madrona, you just mentioned him, played a ton of snaps. Ali Caho, heard all of last year, he's played a good amount of snaps. Um, there's a lot of experience in this group, and that's not even counting what is, a, a, at least seemingly to me, a pretty talented freshman class. Um, you know, Mone Malafu, we really liked him in spring. Uh, Trey Edwards, look, we do we think he's carrying too much weight? Yeah, but he looks... Uh, when, he looks like he can play. He's he looks like he can play. Weight. He just might not be a linebacker in the long run. Um, Jalen Woods. Jalen Woods. like a player. Yeah, who they've Richard liked so Preston. much. They've liked so much that they never even had him on the scout team last year. Um, right. There's, uh, there's just a lot of room here for them to be pretty good, and it will be kind of, uh, I mean, as we just said, I will wander off into the woods if they're not good this year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, we've always said in college football, if you're if a team is good in a specific year, it's it's obviously a lot. It's coaching, it's talent, but it's experience yeah. in college football more so than college basketball. Even so, even though I mean that's those are the elements in it college matters, basketball. But football really matters. Football, you got to get the you got to get bigger bodies. You get older, you're stronger, bigger, faster. Um, it's so huge, and right now... And it's a much more complicated game. You need the mental reps. Exactly. Muasawa is a super senior. John John Vons is a true senior. Uh, Ali Kaho is a super senior. Um, Aladejo is a true junior. Uh, Shea Bryant-Strother is a redshirt junior. Kane Madrano is a redshirt senior. That's a lot of years. And these guys have played. So, like you said, I hope I'm not out there chasing you in the woods that yeah. you're lost and I'm trying to bring you back. Well, and this is a this is a, a part to whole thing going on here because this is true pretty much up and down the roster. There is a central value in UCLA not having lost much of anyone at all to the transfer portal. Like it if you remember us writing about it in spring, did they lose one guy to the transfer portal in spring? I think it was that. I think it was one guy. Yeah, I think um, it was one. There's a lot of retained experience in this team. And linebacker is just, you know, kind of, um, uh, it's a big part of it. It's a, you know, one of the best examples of it. But up and down this roster, you see a lot of junior and senior, big guy, been in the program a long time now it has to pay off at some point. Like, yeah. it can't just, like, I mean, especially defensively. Like, being being young and kind of bad is one thing, but, like, having this many juniors and seniors just starting, but not even just starting, being, th like, littered throughout the depth chart and still not being very good would be, um, well, it would be kind of antithetical to what we all understand as the main reasons for why teams are good in football. It would... Or just the coaching so bad it didn't make. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. It exactly. didn't hold. It. But even I, you know, I concentrated on defensive line on practice at Wednesday, on Wednesday, and physically they all look so much better. Gary Smith, as you've observed, looks so much better, moving uh, so much better. Do you moving remember? So, do you remember? Jay Toia looks the best he's ever looked, oh, moving yeah. better than he ever has. Devin Apiu, which. We thought had a chance. He came in. He started playing after he transferred in a spring from from Notre Dame. That dude looks like just physically at six five two seventy looks like 
a, a real player. And and what I like about all this is uh, th- there are a lot of guys that we know at the edge, right? We've got um, uh, Leatu Latu. Everyone's saying is is gonna is looking great in practice. The Murphys, who had moments but then had lapses, but they played. If you remember, at least I can't remember which one played inside at like a three technique quite often last year. So there, if they rotate in inside too, there are a lot of bodies here that have played between, <clears throat> sorry, Latu, Toia, Gary Smith, the Murphys. You've got, you know, Keanu Williams as the guy who came, came in from Oregon who didn't play that much. That was an intense one. What are you talking um, about? <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I, I'm kind of feeling the same way about the defensive line, and it encouraged me this week just because physically they looked so much, so much better. And I'm not even mentioning Carl Jones, who who looks like a f- physical beast. Yeah, no, and I, I think that that obviously stands out. I mean, I know we've they've talked a lot about like the nutrition and the. Um, fitness programs and all that kind of stuff. It really feels like they did. And this is a lot of the reason I think the media has been asking about it so much in the last couple of weeks. It feels like they did something fundamentally different this off season because they're just, it looks more like, uh, and like they've been fit the last couple of years. I, I wouldn't say that, but like just the conditioning standpoint, the, the bodies themselves, they just look more like a, you know, a real serious college program. Um, um, they mentioned all the players are mentioning. Remember the the, the sprinting, yeah, the sprinting that put him through hell. Yeah, but it's also a matter of getting Gary Smith, let's say, from a transfer and now having him in the program for over a year, right? So you're able to turn his body around. Jay Toia was probably carrying a lot of extra weight. Uh, so uh, Leatu Latu, seriously, his legs have thickened out. So yeah. much. They're a little bit thin last year. They are they are thick looking NFL type of trunks he's got now. Um, this makes a difference, and all of these guys returning, the same kind of the same thing. They they've all played. There's a lot of experience there. So uh, I'm going to say the same thing. If the defensive line isn't pretty solid, it's going to be very disappointing. It won't be quite wander off into the woods territory for me at that point because I do still think they're missing kind of a piece, which is a real dynamic pass rushing three tech. But yeah, I mean they should be at least like holding up pretty well against the run. I would see. Hope. I think that's going to be a Murphy. They'll line up in so many situations in pass in pass situations where another Murphy's going to line up at the three technique. Yeah, very possible. Very possible. Um, so yeah, that's I mean, kind of the defensive side of it. That's that's sort of what we've paid attention to so far. Again, we've got about uh, it truly is like a true fifteen minutes, maybe even a touch less by the time we get you know where we need to be to watch um, per day. So that works out to we're at two hours of practice time watched. Come on, Tracy. Hey, just long enough to see who's got the GoPro on his helmet. That's true. All right, switching gears over to the offense. This was kind of the funniest uh, little note from the week. So all throughout spring, um, and look, a lot of people ask funny questions. Do they only have one GoPro? Maybe. Who knows? Uh, The quarterback room, uh, there was one GoPro, and it was on the helmet of Ethan Garbers the entire spring. Never switched. It was always on his helmet. And the previous year, it was always on Dorian Thompson Robinson's helmet. Never switched. Okay, so you know you can you can surmise some things from that. Is he clearly the first string guy, or is it just that he understands the offense the best, so he gives you the best reps to look at on the video thing? Whatever doesn't really matter. So throughout the first week of fall camp, it was all Ethan Garbers again. So we're like, okay, continuing that thing. But then, but then, aha! On Monday this week. Dante Moore's got the GoPro on, got it on his helmet. So we're like, okay, is this, is this a big switch? And then I think it was uh, the next two days as well, Tuesday and Wednesday. Yes. 
And then on Thursday, after we'd asked Chip Kelly about it, and he was like, "What are you guys talking about?" Well, I don't. What, I don't what even you know what you're about? talking about. Uh, and and we'd made a thing about it. On so that. wait, wait, wait. Do we think he really didn't understand? No, of course not. He's not. An he's idiot. a really good actor. You yeah, know, no, he's he's. But he, you know what he also did? He used. This is what he does. He uses ter- terminology like maybe he didn't get go. He was going to use GoPro as like oh yeah no, no, his, no. his off ramp for not knowing which no the, doubt the it's name, a different brand, brand of camera. If you yeah. would have said the helmet on the camera, yeah, exactly. Yeah, but uh, so then we get to Thursday yesterday. We all get out on the practice field, and who has the GoPro on? Chase Griffin, baby. Chase Griffin, who didn't even take team reps in spring, who was not like. Who was clearly transitioning to being a grad assistant in the spring? Uh, he, that's he, just a, that's just a direct say. Hey, I'm screwing with you. Yeah, I'm messing yeah, with yeah. you guys. Uh, we're not doing this game. Yeah, I kind of love that stuff. I love. Yeah, that. I, I know you do. But to me, that's energy just to screw. Where I'd rather have energy of them engaging us about how maybe in those 15 minutes to get a better angle. Mm. <laughs> you know, just more engagement on things of substance rather than just screwing with us for no reason. Well, see, but we get screwed with me. we get screwed with for no reason in so many unfun ways that it's kind of uh, a nice well, little switch for yeah, me when it's in a. It fun was way. playful, I yeah. guess. Is that if that's what you want to call it? Yeah, I love that. Uh, so yeah, uh, trying to show us there there's no matter to the uh, to the GoPro was pretty funny. Um, but yeah, I mean. We are uh, pretty far away from the quarterbacks, and the the biggest issue with us observing with our own eyes. Now we're going to get impressions from other people, but observing with our own eyes, the only things we're seeing of the quarterback competition are individual on air reps, um, and so there's no team stuff. There's no doing stuff in scrimmage drills. There's no even seven on seven. There's no skeleton. None of that stuff. It's just throwing the like workout warm up reps. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. So really y'all should just think some of those practice reports are brilliant given <laughs> given if you were out there and you saw what we saw you go wow are you making this stuff up? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we are. Um just to give you something to read. Yeah. Um Let's see football what else? Uh I wrote that story yesterday. You uh, wrote a story and, yesterday. And uh, you know of course, it's a lot of speculation, but a lot of people just kind of, and I get it, we're, we're all beaten down and our brains are flooded with BBS and we can't necessarily process things well because of it. Uh, a lot of people interpreted it like they say, hey, there are other stories out there that are saying UCLA won't be very good in the Big Ten. Yeah, that's probably true, given if you just take the state of the program and the team right now and plug it into the Big Ten. Yeah, probably. That's not what that article was about. It was about the teams that will benefit from realignment the most in the country. And that UCLA is among those given all the factors that I stacked up there. There aren't too many teams that are most of the teams. Like I said, are, are the realignment will just keep them alive. It, it was a life preserver, uh, it, not a big boost to the program, maybe even a little bit of a deficit. There aren't that many that are just going to, oh, realignment. Wow, it's a whole new world. Uh, we have the chance to be different. UCLA is one of those. Um, that's what that was all about, guys. It's just like I, I think I wrote in a post. I, I write critically uh, you know, when it's valid, but I have to write optimistically when it's valid also. And there are a number of factors that are coming together, just not the realignment and the Big Ten media money, but... Gene Block retiring in June of 2024. A lot of factors that can make you feel possibly optimistic that the UCLA football program might be able to change and get um, and move up a notch in the college football hierarchy. I know there are a lot of things that you think, well, how about NIL? How about the academic requirement? I get all that all true. But at this point right now, there hasn't been as many factors coming together that should make you as optimistic as as you can now. A lot of it, too, is this is a big thing, and I wrote about it, but um, they're going to get all of this money, average of $70 million um, uh, over the course of the next seven years, which 
I mean, would get UCLA probably 200 to 250 million more than it would if it were someplace else. Um, and they won't have to use those to build a football facility. They won't have to use them to redo poly or build a basketball facility. They might have to enhance a few things, add a few little resources here or there, but those are already built. Um, so what they can do with this money could be program changing. And that's all what this was about. Okay. So yeah, just wanted to clarify guys feel, even though the BBS is, is like a drug and it's just flooding your brain per chance to dream here, because there are reasons to right now, there are more factors that lead to you potentially thinking UCLA has a chance to maybe transform its football program. I think even if you're of a slightly more cynical mindset, um, I think there's a uh, there's a motivating factor of potential embarrassment um, that I think people need to acknowledge as well. Which oh, I is, like that too. Yeah. Which is um, if UCLA goes into what is turning into, I won't say it's an all-star league because there is still a bottom eight in that league that um, UCLA of the last three years will pants on the regular. Uh, the top chunk of that league with Oregon and Washington added now is, who oh boy. Uh, if UCLA doesn't get serious, like if UCLA decides to sit on, you know, rest on its laurels and, and not invest this money into uh, the creation of a, uh, of a more elite program, the potential for embarrassment is extremely high. Wow, uh, that, you know what, Dave, that's, such a huge, huge point. It truly is because that's, you know, that's the way you motivate someone to do something when they have to. Not, if they go eight, if they go seven and five, nah, we're good. Look at us. They go three and nine. Oh, crap. We got to do something. And seven and five is not going to be as easy to come by in the Big Ten. You have to get serious to get to the level of being a, a little bit above water in the Big Ten to get to five and four in conference is going to take some work because, I mean, depending on how the schedule breaks down, I wrote a story yesterday about the different possibilities, but one way or another, you're playing probably at minimum three or four legit playoff contenders every single year in conference. So that's a different deal. Like that's a that's a that's a yeah. different thing and. UCLA is not Rutgers, um, but you teeter on the knife's edge of falling down into that pile if you don't get serious. And and here's the other thing. Just as a companion piece to what I wrote, Dave, great point. It made me think of this. Uh, along all those other, along the lines of all those other uh, articles that are written that UCLA is going to struggle in the Big Ten. Yeah, I'll go on a limb and say they're really going to struggle because we just went through that roster that's all a bunch of seniors this year. Mm-hmm. Unless they go out and they've, they've done well in the transfer portal, but unless they go out in the transfer portal for 2024 and just knock it out of the park, I mean, two, two outside rushing edges, a defensive tackle, a great cornerback, two more offensive linemen. I mean, that first year gonna, will be brutal. Brutal, brutal. And that might be, that's exactly another reason why I think it, it's what I was writing about transforming their program. That's not next year. That's years. <laughs> that's yeah. a few years down the line. And one of those, one of those parts of the process might be getting, you're getting, UCLA gets smacked in its first yeah. at least year in the big, big 10. Getting your teeth kicked in has always been a motivating force at UCLA. So oh my gosh, yes. Um, let's. Let's hope not, but that might very well. Or be Or let's hope yes. Year. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, it's an accelerationist philosophy. But maybe you need to get your teeth kicked in before you can actually change. Yeah, but I like it. Let's put that on a rock somewhere. Yeah, it's a it's a motivating force. All right. Um, so that's sort of the state of things in football. Um, we'll have more obviously over the next couple of weeks. Um, we're eight practices in, but there's still a lot of fall camp before they even get to game prep. So. Um, Exciting, though. Yeah, it's there's exciting. No, there's no practice today, but we'll have more this weekend um, and then heading through next week. So probably some, you know, we'll, we'll have some news at some point on different things going on. Um, all right. Uh, 
But this past week, uh, we had the breaking of the Pac-12. Obviously, you've um, you've probably consumed quite a bit of news on that out there in the listenership. A lot of calories. Uh, but generally speaking, we just alluded to it. Oregon and Washington are now joining UCLA and USC in the Big Ten. Uh, they're doing it at drastically reduced shares, about a half share, it sounds like, with the ability to borrow against future funds, but then they will be full share members at the next media cycle. Um a life preserver. No, a life preserver for the Oregon and Washington. This, um, for me, like the, the, I think this is, it's maybe slightly better for UCLA to have them in there from a motivating standpoint because you're adding two programs that have significantly outperformed UCLA of late. Um, so again, it motivates. I don't know if it by itself improves UCLA's competitive position vis-a-vis the travel stuff, uh, because first, I don't know if the schedule is going to include Oregon and Washington every single year. The more I think about it, the more I think it won't. And two, uh, they're two really good teams. So even if you do include them every year, playing Oregon and Washington every single season, is that better than having to take a road trip to Indiana? See, that's I I know you're all about the time uh, change. and. It, there's data to back that up, but would you rather skip um, over uh, uh, time to uh, Central Time or to East Coast Time? Would you rather play Rutgers in New Jersey or would you rather play Oregon in Eugene? Correct. And this is where we get to part two, phase two of my grand plan. Got to get Cal and Stanford in there at third shares. <laughs> because they're bad. Because they're bad. See, that's what everyone's missing. You don't want a bunch of good. You want some bad in there. You need some bad. You need some bad. Um, So I think, you know, that would obviously be ideal now. Now that the seal has been broken and Oregon and Washington are in, now UCLA should be clamoring for even more. A third share. They'd snap at it. When they a third? Come on, Cal has nowhere to go. A quarter share. Throw them 15 million bucks. They'll take it. It's more than what's on the table anywhere. Yeah, Mountain West is going to give them like 8 million. Mountain West was four million last year, and with them added, it was—I think someone was saying right—it was eight million dollars. Yeah, eight to ten. Double um, that. Give yeah. them fifteen. Yeah, give them fifteen. Uh, we sound yeah. like UCLA douches, don't we? But yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. give them a pittance. <laughs> um, so anyway, the the situation is now. So I think it's it's probably a net net neutral, maybe slightly net negative for football. For basketball, it's a clear net positive to add more West Coast. Um, You know, that's because UCLA is really good in basketball and Washington has been a dirt program for so long. Um, Even though Oregon is pretty good, uh, it's still a net positive for basketball because it will reduce travel um, to some extent. Um, and for all of the Olympic sports, obviously, it will be better if the Olympic sports stay in whatever the Big Ten is. Um, but yeah, so that was the news on Friday. Um, it was we have kind no of no real expected. indication though that the Big Ten is seriously considering the Bay Area schools, though, right? No, no, no real indication. They reviewed them. I don't think they're considering them. I think it's a question of whether Stanford and Cal get to such a level that they desperately are like, we will take 12 million dollars a year and, and that might, like, might might be what this is yeah it's a play for them to, to get them desperate yeah and maybe it gets hopefully some, yeah because the thing is for fox is there some value in just completely zeroing out espn's potential on the west coast entirely maybe and that would be the reason to go get the bay area schools. pretty big value right there yeah actually yeah so uh, there's that. Um, so the remaining pack four are Stanford, Cal, Oregon State, and Washington State. Now, in my ideal world where you create like a pack eight tumor inside of the Big Ten, I would want Oregon State and Washington State added as well. However, um, the likelihood of that seems like it could be inscribed on the head of a pin. Let's just compromise with Cal and Stanford. Yeah, let's compromise with Cal and Stanford. Get a pack six. We're negotiating with the Big Ten. Yeah, we are negotiating. We are in charge of negotiations. Um, so yeah, that's, that's sort of the situation with the Pac-12. Do you have any other thoughts on that? No, no. Great. I mean, it's just like a big, after every day realignment, every 50, 20 minutes realignment was the main topic of news. I'm, I'm happy in this fallout period just to let it lie for a while. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. This won't be the last throws of it, but, uh, it's, it's, it's maybe going to die down but for a couple of I, days. I here. guess the one thing that's really stunning to me, though, if you really look at 
school by school, athletic department by athletic department, who's benefiting from this and who and who's not? Who's barely? Who's just staying alive rather than being decimated? It's it's really crazy. Um, the four corner schools that went to the Big Twelve. That's just that's a survival move. That's what that is. You uh, you make the point all the time. Do you survive or do you really flourish? Uh, can you see those four corner schools really flourishing in the Big Twelve? Like nah. in 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 part, but not as a whole program. Like I think. So here's here's what I'll say about that. I think Colorado is in a net neutral position. Uh, they're going to be the dregs of the Big Twelve the same way they were the dregs of the Pac twelve, maybe slightly better because Deion Sanders is pretty good. But I think Arizona State's position is probably worse in a Big 12 than it was in the Pac-12. I think Arizona's is, I think they're going to convince themselves they're going to be the premier basketball program in that league. I don't see it. Um, That'll still be Kansas. Kansas. Uh, And um, I think the one that has a chance to really um, make a name for itself in the Big 12 and has the potential to thrive is Utah. Because I think they were always going to have a talent problem against USC and Oregon that in their peak years they can beat them, but when they're not peaking, they're still going to struggle in those games. Utah might end up being one of the top three or four most talented teams in the new Big 12. So I can see them thriving. But the other three, I think it's neutral or negative. Right. Hey, uh, the other big news, which is very Dave-related. There was a there was a guy walking around uh, UCLA. One of your favorite guys on earth wearing Shaw, a baby. UCLA polo. David Shaw, baby. God, I would have done anything for a photo to send you that. You would have put that up on your Twitter, right? That no would doubt. have been that would have been your photo, your header photo. No doubt, no doubt. I, I need a photo of you and him together, and he's in a, a UCLA polo. I think that would be lovely. I think that'd be lovely. I'm excited for yeah. the future when he is uh, an assistant for UCLA because that's coming <laughs> like a freight train. You know it is. And he's gonna be, he's the guy who Chip is going to hand over the play calling. <laughs> oh, I hope so, especially in the red zone. Can we get Just some, because you'll can, have more to write about? Yeah, can we get some Wildcat ace formation in the red zone, please? Please? <laughs> uh, everyone, some sometime in our future, there is going to be Dave Woods interviewing David Shaw. Like I think the 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 quintessential David Shaw is actually double tight, ace formation. You know, running back taking a direct snap. I think that's so, what we're looking for. So one time when UCLA uh, was playing at Palo Alto, and I was staying at that Sheridan that's right on that main street or Mercadero, whatever it is, and I to go out to the main uh, restaurant shop area, you go out the back and you go underneath the the little railroad and. And uh, in the parking lot, they must have been staying there, was the Stanford offense running <laughs> running through its place in in that little parking lot. And I, I couldn't stop because I think they would have, you know, come over and tackled me or something. But in my ability to just watch as I was going by... They were run, They were running double tights, and I was laughing so hard, thinking. And my wife's all, "What are you laughing at?" Oh, I'll tell you later. And that Dave, I, I was going to get my camera out, but I thought also I'd be shot. So yeah, but yeah, even in the parking lot, they're going through double tight. It's beautiful. Yeah, we love it. We love it. Okay, so football. That's it. Basketball. Uh, a few things. We got some inside information into the actual practices that had that have begun uh, in preparation for the basketball team playing in Spain. Three exhibition games later this month. Uh, really interesting and really fun. Before that, uh, Burke, Biuktunchel, Biuktunchel, <laughs> Biuktunchel. You know, you have to say it three times. Um, in a mirror in the dark. In the committed. Bathroom to UCLA, signed with UCLA. Mm-hmm. So that amazing little coup, I wrote another article about how Mick Cronin pulled off the recruiting coup of the ages. And the more I started with that, you and I thought about it. I go, okay, I'll write this article. And then the more I kept writing, you know, you get more thoughts, more analysis. It kept piling on really how amazing that recruiting coup was. Um, it just... 
everything that he uh, usually recruiting classes traditionally over in November. Maybe there's a stray that might happen in spring. Mick Cronin has had to keep recruiting this class through August. I mean, that's a lot of effort. That's <laughs> he's had to navigate through UCLA admissions and the TOEFL, uh, the English proficiency exam. Um, he's had to negotiate, well, not negotiate, but navigate through their the international players' relationship with their uh, club teams. Uh, they all have handlers. Uh, just while he's bonded with all of them, and wow, it's an, uh, it's been a pretty phenomenal. I, I, if you really think about it in in whole in its entirety, this recruiting class. I mean, it should be ranked number two in the country behind Kentucky. That has 10 commitments and I don't know, three or four or five stars, something like that. But literally, like I said, it, it has to be considered one of the best recruiting classes in UCLA history, if not even going into the recruiting class, not looking at it retroactively before maybe being the best. Not to go all Chip Kelly uh, on yet, <laughs> but uh, comparison is the thief of joy. Uh, my, my, uh, because I think, yeah, sure, I think you're right. I think it is the, uh, you know, it's it's a very good class. My big thing is just what it says, and we talked about this last week, but what it says about Mick Cronin as a thinker, as a um, as somebody who can shepherd a program in the modern era where things are constantly changing is probably the most significant element of this class. These guys might end up pretty good. They might end up really good. They might end up, uh, you know, a couple of them disappointing. Hard to know. But the fact that he was able to pivot on a dime, given the changing circumstances of high school recruiting in uh, in the States and, um, you know, UCLA's NIL situation, so many different factors. And to then go and, and, and be able to do this in a single cycle is just otherworldly stunning uh, and not something that any UCLA coach would have been capable of before him. Um, and few are capable of in the country. Um, it's, you know, I don't know if you call that. Um, I mean, that's just like general intelligence stuff, but it's, uh, you know, it's, it's very, very rare. Um, so I think if you're a, if you're a basketball fan worried about the future, the state of college athletics, the state of, you know, all the different changes that can come down the pike, whether it's the guys being paid by the universities or whatever it is, you've got to feel much more confident after this cycle that Mick Cronin is the guy to shepherd that program uh, going forward because he has clearly shown the ability to adapt and thrive. We've talked about he has, he has two real personality traits. Um, He's highly competitive. Most people who know him who tell me said most competitive guy I've ever met. It, it just, it's just, that's how he's wired. And secondly, just a dogged re relentlessness in this just would never, ever give up uh, on this. And that's dang. Uh, yeah, it was, it's been, it's been pretty. And then on top of it, <laughs> The reports from practice. So those are the four international guys. He also brought in a transfer from Utah, Lazar Stefanovic. And then the three high schoolers that are supposed to be, I mean, people think of them mostly as an afterthought now in light of the international commitments. But the reports from practice is Sebastian Mack, the 6'3 shooting guard from Las Vegas, who... I don't have his offer list in front of me, but it was looking like he'd be lower end of the high majors. Uh, that's kind of where he was going to end up. Um, UCLA saw him during the summer, kept on him, then saw him at the beginning of his high school season, offered him and got a commitment from him. This is looking like, uh, like an amazing evaluation at this point because he's, he's the star of the practices so far. Just 6'3", bull going through the lane, really quickness and strength, his ability to finish. Streaky shooter, but it's going in. 
just a defender. I, I it was described to me as a Cincinnati player with UCLA level talent. Uh, there aren't too many of those guys around. Um, uh, so that's amazing. Uh, Brandon Williams, the six seven combo forward from New York, is looking really, really talented. Just needs to get um, uh, bigger, stronger, older. He's he's like young for his age. Uh, Devin Williams, six ten post player, really, really skinny, but showing you know the athleticism, ability to block shots. All the three to four year guys that UCLA builds its program on every year, but it's just. It's just a, that they pulled out Sebastian Mack. And among all the international, uh, among this whole class that comes in, Sebastian Mack is going to be a guy who probably generates a good amount of playing time, who were pro- oh, more than likely fans are really also going to notice on top of the potential first round NBA picks coming out of the international commitments. That's exciting. Yeah. Um, the Sebastian Mac news, especially because um, that's one of your formative guys for the next three, four years. Um, so that's, I mean, that's if if I was if I was going in retrospect and thinking, what do I want to hear out of the first few practices? I wanted to hear that uh, the three American high school guys looked the part um, because those are going to be building blocks. Because um, you don't know. With the international guys from two levels, you don't know because we haven't seen them nearly as much as you've seen the high school guys. So you don't necessarily know. And then also you don't know, are they going to be so good that they're gone? Uh, the Williamses and Mac, you we know because we've got years and years of uh, everyone doing a great job with high school evaluation that if they're ranked where they're ranked, they are not one and dones. So you know they're going to be building blocks. And so for them to, you know, already, or two of them to already be showing out and then Devin Williams to look like he's got a lot of upside, that's great. And that's, that's I think that's probably the most exciting news in that whole report. And then the two international um, guys that have been in practice, Elan uh, Fabloy has looked uh, like he could step in and be the Jalen Clark. Uh, 6'6". Uh, great athlete and loves to play defense and tough mentally and physically a Mick Cronin kind of guy, uh, which I didn't necessarily anticipate because to me he seemed he might go G league or something. I, I just, I didn't necessarily see that he would be that tough guy. And I'm hearing that he is um, offense uh, good off the dribble, but shot like I, Heard he can make a couple of threes and he'll hit the side of the backboard. Um, so I, I miss Jalen Clark and I'm excited to have him back. Then there's Jalen Clark. Um, and then we haven't uh, haven't got too many reports because he's only practiced. Uh, they had two practices and then a break, and that's Jan Vide. Uh, w- uh, first practice was just okay. I heard the second practice that he looked kind of special in his ability to get off the pick and roll, get into the lane, and that whole array of offensive scoring moves he has once he comes around that pick and he's in the lane. Uh, Looked better defensively the second day going up against the quickness of Dylan Andrews and uh, Sebastian Mack. Uh, So really encouraging there too. I mean, it doesn't just jump out at you two guys that are one and done, right? These are guys that are going to also be three to four-year guys. Yep. So that's that's also phenomenal too, um, and then we have to you know we get Berke and uh, Adai Mata coming in, which are the two guys who might be first round picks. So right now, as a UCLA fan, you you should be oh, and I mean I didn't even talk about Stefanovic who has been impressing everyone, uh, six six to six seven, small forward. Um, Really good mid-range from what I hear. He hits everything when he pulls up. Uh, streaky on and off as an outside shooter and a good defender for his size. And plays hard and brings that level of you know veteran le- leadership and knowledge and experience. So it's kind of got all the pieces. Now we just need to plug back in um, a Dembona, who I also heard is getting a lot better at sh- facing up and shooting. 
which if that's true, brings a whole nother dimension to UCLA's offense. But then a die Mata and, and Berke, which could uh, talking about offense, what those guys can do, all of them plugging in to this team. So very, very, very exciting for UCLA basketball season. Yeah. Yeah. It was a very, uh, very positive report. If you haven't read that, Tracy published it on, uh, Tuesday. So get in there and read that. Uh, it's the quick inside look at UCLA's August basketball practice practice for a little bit more detail, but yeah, there's a, there's a lot of reason to be excited. And, um, I think that still the hope is we might get some, uh, look at what they do in Spain. Um, we'll have to wait and see if there's going to be any live streaming. Uh, they'll be without Bona Berke, uh, and who else are they going to, uh, and Mata, yeah, yeah, uh, but the uh, the guards will be will be fun to see. Um, yes, how they do in those games. So yeah, very very exciting stuff uh, for UCLA, and it's nice to not have to talk about a UIP anymore. It's nice to not have <laughs> until to, the next one. Well, it's just nice to not have to like cover the vagaries of this particular international recruiting cycle. Um, you know, there'll be there'll be new ones uh, with the next one, but I feel like we've been dealing with the Burke situation. I mean, it's literally since like a month ago last year, like 13 months of uh, initial attempts through the TOEFL. Then, you know, thought he was completely off the, off the radar and then, you know, back to it. But then he was suddenly the UIP that we couldn't talk about ever. You know, it's nice. But it was entertaining, Dave. I mean, usually you don't hear much about, that's too serious about recruiting. And we had a story, we had multiple stories that kept going through spring and summer, kept you all entertained. Yeah, and no, then, I mean, then, it's, then it's, it helps to be right. It's great for us. Like, I don't want to yeah. say that. I mean, it's, it's great for I think us. It was great for the readers too. Don't yeah, you think? yeah. No, but it's yeah. just, uh, it's, it's nice to have it all, all facing forward now. So everyone can talk about it openly and we can all have a good conversation about how good these guys are going to be. That's fun. Because the reality is, they're going to be really good. Might not be in November, but they're going to be really good. It's going to be a fun yeah. season. Yeah, someone made the point that UCLA should offer to host the Maui Invitational and all proceeds go to uh, disaster victims. It's going to end up in Vegas. Yeah, or Vegas. I, I, I would Dave, guarantee Dave it's going to be Vegas. Dave was going to Maui. <laughs> yeah, I was going to be going to Maui. Yeah, I'm sorry. That's okay. It's not... I am I am not centered here. Uh, this is very very awful. Yeah, horrible. Just yeah. So yeah. Anyway, that was a lot. We so many things. Out. So yeah. many things. All right. Well, I think that's it. We got anything else? No. All right. For Tracy Pearson, I'm David Woods, Bruin Report Online, and we'll talk to you again next time. See y'all.